Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 133 of the Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We are so excited to be together again. Indeed. We're at Emily's office today in Branford. Yeah. For the first time, we're both recording here. I've recorded here many times over the course of the pandemic year, but we're both here together across the table. It's very exciting. So wonderful. It's wonderful to have you back. You were gone for so long on vacation. I was really happy for you but I really missed you. I missed you too. And this is the longest vacation I've taken, I want to say ever. That's not really true. When I was a young person, I probably took longer vacations, but certainly as an older working adult, this was the longest vacation I've ever taken. And it was lovely. I had a good time. Lots to report. Yeah, I loved watching your photos as you posted them on social media. That was great to see all the wonderful places you went. Yeah, it was really fun. And I brought the gentleman caller along, so I had my own personal Um, paparazzi, which was really nice. (laughs) So we wanted to start out reminding people about Big Summer Reads. Yes, this is again our friend Sue Jackson's Big Book Summer Reading Challenge, where you read books that are 400 pages or more. We're doing Buddy Reads, Emily and I. I'm doing Bleak House. I'm doing Anna Karenina. We've taken it very seriously. We didn't stick to something close to 400 pages. <laughs> I think, was it mine 1,200 pages or something? Yeah, yours is huge. Yeah. And mine is, I think, like 800 pages. And so on our Goodreads page, you'll find a buddy read thread for each of those books. Chris did a great job of breaking them down into different weeks. We're both starting tomorrow, which is July 1st. And then mine stretches all the way through August. Yeah, you're doing two months, and I'm powering through in 21 days. Just because I have projects in August, the reading schedule I put on Goodreads, I'm going to change that because Jenny posted this really cool resource on the page from her university. They have scanned the serialization of Bleak House. So you get to see the original pamphlets that it came in. Oh, how cool. Yeah, with all the advertisement that goes along with those pamphlets. You know, it's not too much of a change. I think like I was going to start with chapters one to three, and Dickens had written at first chapters one to four. Okay. And then after that, it's two or three chapters every day. But I thought it'd be really cool to read it the way it was serialized, at least in those chunks of chapters. That's great. Yeah. Thank you, Jenny. Yeah, thanks for that. She's just a font of knowledge. She sure is. Yeah, absolutely. So we had a lot of people email and also pipe in on the episode 131 Goodreads thread. We're using that as kind of the summer read-along thread. So please, if you're reading a book that's big, over 400 pages, get on the Goodreads thread if you're on Goodreads. Listener Diane from Minnesota let us know by email that she's reading Boy's Life, not this Boy's Life, but Boy's Life by Robert McCammon. This one, the Bram Stoker and World Fantasy Awards. It's a good book, yeah. So cool. Published 2011, 608 pages. Go, Diane. <laughs> Keep us posted. Lots of people came into our Goodreads thread. We have things like Great Circle, Maggie Shipstead, The Rose Code, Kate Quinn, Middlemarch, George Eliot. Chris tackled that one already. Jenny from Reading Envy said she's reading The Actual Star by Monica Byrne. This isn't out until September, but she couldn't wait. My daughter, Rachel, piped in and said Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley. She loved it. And she's reading The Shadow and Bone Trilogy by Lee Bardugo. 
I was telling her we were at Book Expo one year and Lee's banner was across the entire ceilings. And then The Once and Future King by T.H. White. Chris also put together a poll on Goodreads. Yeah, so we have a poll on Goodreads. It's a lot of fun. It's something, I don't remember the title, but like, what classic are you reading this summer? One of the options is, I prefer contemporary novels, so you can still participate even if you're not into classics. That's been a lot of fun to see. There's an option to write in what you'd like to read. There's space to comment if you'd like to leave a comment. So some people are voting and leaving a comment or just voting. And you have some statistics there. Yes. So 67 people have voted so far. 17.9% are write-ins. So that means they chose the book that they want. 10% Anna Karenina. 10% so far have said, I prefer reading contemporary (laughs) novels. Northanger Abbey got five votes. Bleak House, 6%. And then Great Circle showed up again. Maybe some of those other ones like Middlemarch Mm -hmm. were on there, Mm -hmm. I think. It's really fun to see what people are reading. Typically, I probably would have clicked the prefer contemporary, but I did choose <laughs> to go with Anna Kay for this summer. Yeah. I'm going to call her Anna Kay. Anna Kay. Yeah, yeah, totally. I put that I prefer to read contemporary novels in there just because I think of like our friend Russell mm-hmm. at Ink and Play Paper Blog. He prefers contemporary fiction. Yeah. But he has read classics in the past. Yeah, I think he doesn't go back. Well, yeah, and I know he and Ryan in their Spilling Tea book club just did Salt by Patricia Highsmith, yeah. or Carol, as it's also called. Right. They just did that for their book club, which is a classic. I think it was first published in the 80s, but it was written in the 50s. I have had this conversation with Russell about when does something become a classic? Because mm-hmm. I know we've talked about Middlesex by Jeffrey Eugenides. I think that should be a classic. Mm-hmm. But when do books become a classic? And, yeah. You know, he and I have had that conversation. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on the genre that it's in. So something like Carol or Salt, like it's a lesbian classic. Since there weren't that many lesbian novels written throughout history, I think that one is at least a contemporary classic, if not a classic at this point. But re-listening to the book, it's so not what I remembered. In my memory, I was thinking like they met and they hopped in the car and went on a road trip. And that wasn't the case at all. There's all this long lead up before they actually hit the road. Right. It's so interesting what your mind does to books. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to give one follow-up from the last episode. We were talking about Louise Erdrich winning the Pulitzer for fiction. You asked me if I had read anything by her, and I said, yeah, I definitely read Tracks which I wrote a snarky paper about back in my graduate school days. And a friend asked me, like, well, what was snarky? Like, what did you have to say about the book? That paper was more about the critics of the book tracks, praising it or critiquing it. So it was more about the commentary about the book than the novel itself, which I loved. Yeah, a little clarity there. (laughs) She was not bad-mouthing Louise Erdrich. (laughs) All hail. Yes, that's right. I love her writing. So, Chris, what are you currently reading? Well, it's a book that I've mentioned before. We've talked about it before. It's Book for Idle Hours, and the subtitle is 19th Century Publishing and the Rise of Summer Reading. It's by Donna Harrigan Luker. It's talking about summer reading as both a product and a process. So she's talking about the publishing industry and their push to create books that were suitable for summer reading. Then also the process of what summer reading was like. So much of it is about the middle class. 
but there's some upper class stuff. There's a section on African American summer readers. And then there is a chapter that I haven't gotten to yet. It's later in the book about tackling big books or classics, using your summertime to read these books that are going to help better you, to help give you more cultural currency and things like that. One of the books I want to mention, and I I have to track down a copy, I was really interested in this. It's a book that was first published in 1875. It was the first novel by Blanche Willis Howard called One Summer. I'd never heard of her or the book, but why she includes this book is that it had a new printing or edition nearly every year between 1875 and 1900. Wow. Like it was a huge seller with really long staying power. Because as she mentions, a lot of the summer reading, you know, it's seasonal reading. You read it, you let it go. Right. And this is one of those books that had that kind of staying power. So I thought it'd be fun to check it out. So does she talk about how people used to get more time off in the summer, that that's part of the history of summer reading, or no? Yes, especially for the middle classes, with the rise of more white-collar work and a steady income, and also working less hours, fewer hours, I should say, for, you know, certain classes. Yeah. Or, you know, women whose husband could afford for the family to go away for the summer. Right. I think about people going up to the Catskills or something and spending the summer there and then just reading all summer, which I would love to flee and go read Anna Kay somewhere in a, in a lounge chair for three months. Yeah, but, exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Catskills is one of those areas that she talks about. And she gives a little bit of historical background, not a ton, that by like the 1820s, 1830s, Americans of a certain class were traveling. They were doing domestic tourist-type travel. Mm-hmm. And the conditions weren't always the best at various hotels or rooming houses. And just how much that changed by the later 19th century, that there were huge resorts, so many resorts that one of the guides that I guess was a go-to only included the most respectable places. And mm-hmm. they had 130 resorts in it. She quotes, you know, different sources because she did archival work looking at periodicals. Periodicals is one of her areas of study. One of the quotes was something about how every tiny little town in New England has something to pitch as a tourist stop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we look at that and we think like that is something that's new, that tourist dollars are something that all towns are now looking into as a way to boost their income base for the town. But that's it's been going on for hundreds of years yeah, already, yeah, even yeah. in our country. So, yeah. you know, what you think is new is quite often not. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, I'm reading The Book of Magic by Alice Hoffman. Woo! This is a little mean. This doesn't come out till October 5th. I'm sorry, everybody. And it's kind of funny because it's considered to be the number two book in the Practical Magic series. We've talked about Alice Hoffman in the past. She's one of my favorite authors, maybe my favorite. I have said that in the past. So Practical Magic was released in 1995, and that's the first book. And then Magic Lessons was published in 2020, and they consider that book point one, (laughs) if you look on Goodreads. And then The Rules of Magic was published in 2017, and that's considered book point two. <laughs> so it's a very strange series because she never thought she would write another book. She thought Practical Magic was it. But all of them deal with the Owens sisters and the Owens family and their heritage. 
I'm really enjoying it. I was laughing to myself because I think it was last episode when you went to Chicago and you said you try to do rereads when you're on vacation or with people so you don't ignore them. (laughs) When I downloaded this book, the book of magic, I was like, see everybody (laughs) checking out. But actually the truth of the matter is I just was on vacation with both my kids. I did not get to read very much. And by the time I got in bed to read, I was completely exhausted. And when I woke up in the morning, I wanted to get out of bed and have coffee with my son before he went off to work, which is typically my real reading time. But I did dip into this book a little bit. I mostly read it on the airplane home. I'm still reading it. And I just love Alice Hoffman. I love her writing. I love being back in the world of the Owens sisters. There's a lot, a little bit of dark magic in this book, which is interesting. I think it's going to tie up a lot of things about the family history. Okay. So now when you say tie up, that kind of sounds like it might be the last book. She has said this is it. Okay. Of course, she never thought she was going to write three more. Mm -hmm. So I've seen some interviews with her where she's implied this is it. Yeah. There's going to be four books, which remember we've talked about, I don't know what that's called, a quadrilly. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting into the other books because I read the first one was it last summer? The summer yeah. before? It must have been last summer and really enjoyed it. So I want to read more. And I caught a thread somewhere on social media, people talking about, you know, so are you going to read it in chronological order of publication? Right. Or now chronological order of the storyline? Right. I have to decide. And she was asked that question. I don't know if you remember that. And when I saw her interview with Chris Bojalian, she said she doesn't have a strong feeling about that that people need to approach it the way that feels right to them. I've been reading them as they've been published, so I don't have to make the decision, obviously, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine reading them any other way than I have. Right. (laughs) I love her. I love all of her books. I really recommend this series. Again, it's called The Book of Magic. It releases on October 5th, so pre-order, ask your libraries to order it. Then read the other three in whatever order you decide. (laughs) So, Chris, what did you just read? I have been reading a lot of boating and navigation stuff because Laura and I took a class to get our boating license or boating certificate here in Connecticut, which, woohoo, we just took the test last night and passed. Right on. Congratulations. Do you get like a badge or a certificate? We got a certificate, a very nicely printed certificate. We did it through the Coast Guard Auxiliary. So uh, it was two people, a husband and a wife, who happened to live down the street from us who taught the class, and they've been teaching it for decades. It's a two-night class, two Tuesdays in a row, and then you take the test. After that, you can then, I think it's 48 hours, then you can go to the state and actually pay for the actual certificate that you need. Okay. But it's a lifetime thing. Oh, nice. Um, You only have to do it once. I mean, we have our kayaks, um, but we thought, let's do it now. So we just have it because then you can rent a boat or you can legally drive a friend's boat. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, your neighbor would love for you to get a boat. (laughs) (laughs) I always say to people, I really just want friends with boats. (laughs) I know. You know what? I mean, there's so much work. Yes. So much work. Like, even though you think you know that there's so much work, there's so much more work than you think they are. And there's also worry around here with hurricanes. I see people, like, scrambling to get their boats out of the water and get Mm -hmm. them protected and all that. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you just hear so many stories. Even sometimes with just strong winds and regular summer storms, 
I know one time one of my friends was late and he's like, oh yeah, I was driving and I saw somebody trying to get their boat resecured that was flapping against a stone wall somewhere. Yeah. So he hopped out of his car and helped. So it happens a lot. Yeah, but at least you've got the certificate now. So you can decide <laughs> if you want yes. what you want to do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So that was a lot of fun. How about you? I finished that book by Jen McKinley, Books Can Be Deceiving, the first book in the Library Lover's Mystery series. She's one of the Jungle Reds that we interviewed. I loved this book. It was just pure fun. Mm -hmm. It was about, um, I mean, there was a mystery involved and it's set, I think I mentioned this last episode, in Briar Creek, which is loosely based on Stony Creek, which is the town next to us. And then there are things called the Thumb Islands, which are similar to the Thimble Islands. (laughs) Uh, What happens in the book is that a children's author is murdered and he lives out on one of the Thumb Islands. It's a little bit about love gone wrong. One of the main protagonists is the director of the library. So I was picturing Willoughby Wallace Library, which is in Stony Creek. Beth, the children's librarian, is one of the characters also. So it's very library rich. We've mentioned this. Jen is or was a librarian. I'm not sure. There's tons of books name dropping throughout the story which I loved and then things like RISD Rhode Island School of Design Providence they get mentioned as well so it's very New England specific to where we live I didn't know who done it so I enjoyed it from beginning to end it was really good and the next book in the series is called Do or Die (laughs) D-U-E I I think I will continue. And I think you've said that you've been told the series gets better with age. Yes, I've heard that. And I have to say, I started reading it as well. I read the first three chapters because I downloaded the sample Mm -hmm. that you can do on a Kindle. And I really loved it, too. I mentioned the Beinecke Library and stuff like that. So I'm definitely going to continue on with that. I wonder if people who don't live around here would enjoy it as much. I think you would. It's Mm -hmm. just that we get some of the name dropping because it's our neighborhood. Right. Yeah, exactly. But I would think you would get it. She's a librarian. She's still a librarian. I have a feeling that it's like the Marines. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Once a librarian, always a librarian. (laughs) Probably true. She also has a great sense of humor, which Mm -hmm. really came out when we interviewed them and comes out in the book as well. Her dialogue is really good. Yeah, it really is. And it's labeled as a cozy, right? So there's not like any extreme violence on the page at all. To me, it didn't read as like too precious or sweet at all. Just really humorous and, and good fun and women-centric. Yes, and small-town women-centric, too. Yeah. So we should tell listeners that we did host the Jungle Reds, and the video is available on our BookTube channel. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. But one of the questions that Chris asked that kind of stumped everybody is, is there a question you've not been asked that you wish someone would ask you? And Jen McKinley, who's hilarious, her response was, what's your Venmo? For people who don't know, that's a way to transfer funds to somebody seamlessly. That was brilliant. That was, <laughs> was a brilliant good, answer. Yes. Which just gives you a little insight into her humor. <laughs> Again, that was called Books Can Be Deceiving by Jen McKinley. What about you? Well, I had a DNF this time around. I picked up a free copy of Great Plains by Ian Frazier at the library one day when they had a free table out front. 
The title has crossed my brain. I've seen it mentioned other places. It was from 1989, and I think it's a bit dated. Mm. Um, Jenny from Reading Envy and I were going to do a buddy read of it. We were both a few chapters in when we decided to let it go. Yeah, She was kind of meh about it. He was kind of annoying me a little bit. I don't think, as I said, it's aging well. Yeah, And there are just so many other books that I want to get to. Amen, sister. Yeah, my stacks are just growing. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had two other books I did read. How about you? I have one. Okay, go for it. Okay. I did finish, while I was on vacation, a book called Beach Read, which has been on my Kindle forever. I don't even know where or how I picked it up. It's by the author Emily Henry. And it just seemed right because I was really having trouble concentrating on anything. Chris and I have mentioned we both get a little crabby when we can't read. And I didn't think that would be very appropriate while I was on vacation (laughs) with people. So anyway, this is kind of funny. It's very meta. So this book is about two authors who are writing books. Augustus Everett writes like serious literary fiction where he kills off his characters and bad things happen. And then January Andrews writes happily ever after stories. (laughs) And unfortunately, January's father has died. And it's one of those things where she discovers he had a whole other life. So she ends up, because of financial reasons, and also, I think, just curiosity, moving into his lake house in Michigan and trying to figure out who he was and who she is and where she's going to go from here. And the gentleman renting the house next door is, or living, I don't know if he rents or owns it, is Augustus Everett, the other author. So they make a deal with each other to try to write flip kind of books, that she'll write a serious piece of literary fiction and he'll write you know, a rom-com happily ever after. And in order for them to understand how to do that, they make dates with each other to take each other on research trips for the literary fiction and, you know, to the county fair to learn about how to write a happily ever after story. It was a strong three, if I were to rate it on Goodreads. You know, like her writing's good, her dialogue is great, but it was kind of one of those where I just kept reading it because I didn't want to be crabby, (laughs) but but I didn't love it at all. I know people really love this book and I think she has a new book out that people wax poetic about so I can see where, you know, it's a nice light read and it was perfect for what I needed at the time. Again, Beach Read by Emily Henry. Well, I read two books that I guess should be talked about together. The first is a rereading of The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald, which came out in 1925. I read the new edition that has the intro by Min Jin Lee. In a past event, we talked about an event that I attended. I think you attended too yeah. with her about the new edition. This is the third time I read The Great Gatsby. And the first time I hated it, I thought it was overrated. I was like, that has to be the most overrated classic <laughs> in America. Like, okay, Grandma. Um <laughs> And then I reread it years later, well, within 10 years. And I thought, okay, I I could see a little bit more. You know, I read some criticism and things like that. And now this third reading, I think we've come close to being friends, (laughs) this novel in me. And I, I got different things out of it. I saw it quite differently. Did that have anything to do with Min's intro, you think? You know what? Um, I yeah, I think so. I think that event 
And the intro did help me. Mm-hmm. I, I do like her intro a lot. I have the mass market edition. They also, and this is Penguin, they also put out a really nice quality paperback or trade paperback size. And at the back, they have resources for exploring the novel in the time period further, the historical context that you could explore. They have a video that John Green did called The Roaring Twenties, A Crash Course in U.S. History. I guess it kind of mentions Greg Gatsby, but the focus is more on the time period. So a lot of these resources I plan on checking out a little bit. Not that I'm going to become a great Gatsby scholar, but I think when there's such an iconic novel, it's good to understand why it's been so loved and continues to be loved and why one of my favorite living authors, Min Jin Lee, loves it so much. Right. You know, that, that yeah. puts a different spin on a book for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and look at my bookmark. I see that. I was looking at it. <laughs> I gave, when I went to Portugal, I brought Chris back a bookmark made out of cork. And she's using that. Well, it's interesting because also the bookstore that we did the event with was Greenlight Bookstore, right? Right. Which is named after the light in The Great Gatsby. So that's one of those things about classics. They become part of society in very different ways. Yes. And in our neighborhood, there's somebody who has a green light on their dock. Right. (laughs) And we're like, that has to be intentional. Yeah. Like, you don't just put a green light on your dock. Yeah, because what's the purpose of it? It right. to make a statement. <laughs> <laughs> and it's outside of a mansion. Right, exactly. Not that we live in mansions. No. Um. <laughs> it's up the hill. It's up the hill. <laughs> we live in cottages. Right. They're mansions up the hills. <laughs> One of the reasons I read that book was because we got a lovely advanced reader copy of The Chosen and the Beautiful. This is a new novel by Nevo. It's considered... A queer retelling of The Great Gatsby, and it focuses on the character of Jordan Baker, who in this book is a Vietnamese adoptee. She has the outsider's perspective even more so than somebody like Jordan Baker would have. I really enjoyed this novel. I wasn't sure what to expect. As I said, it's considered a queer retelling, and there's also some magic elements in it. Ooh. Very light on that. In fact, you almost forget at times that there is that, and then it comes back. I thought she did an excellent job. Sometimes I think books that are about other books can be a little bit too careful or too smart. Mm-hmm. And this one, I thought, Vo really did a great job of making the story her own, but still honoring the story and really helping you see different perspectives within the original story. Yeah. And I'm not sure, but it felt like at times that she took some of the dialogue verbatim. I'm not sure, though. I I haven't had a chance to sit and look at that. But, you know, The Great Gatsby's out of copyright now, which is one reason that you're going to be seeing more adaptations of The Great Gatsby and characters being used freely. When Mm -hmm. a book is in copyright, you can't do that. Do you think, this is a loaded question, but I'm going to ask it, do you think you would have enjoyed or gotten The Chosen and the Beautiful as well or differently if you hadn't just read The Great Gatsby? Like, in other words, do you recommend that people do? I do recommend you reread it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just reread The Great Gatsby within probably five, six years, maybe. I'm Mm -hmm. not really sure. There's so many things about it that I didn't remember, and then just things that I understood differently. Right. So I do recommend that you reread The Great Gatsby or read it for the first time. Yeah. And do the book. 
don't do any of the adaptations right. of the movies. Really do the book. Yeah. I have a related biblio adventure about these things. But again, this book is The Chosen and the Beautiful by Nevo. Her last name is V.O. I do recommend this. And Jenny also happened to read this one from Reading Envy. Jenny, you were like the the star of our episode here. We don't have a special guest, so <laughs> maybe that's why we're name dropping so much. But Jenny really enjoyed it as well. And she also reread The Great Gatsby and didn't really remember that much about the character mm-hmm. because she is not a major character in the novel. Yeah. She's an important character. And it makes sense to me that she would choose that character to write her books. Well, yes, because she is so not very specific. The thing about The Chosen and the Beautiful is she grows up with Daisy in The Chosen and the Beautiful. So you get Daisy's background in such a different way. Daisy is the woman that Gatsby's in love with. Right. You do get a different look at her. Did it make you want to watch one of the movies? Yes. You know, I never saw the Leonardo DiCaprio Mm -hmm. adaptation. I do want to watch that now. And I want to go back to the Robert Redford because Sam Waterston plays Nick. Mm. Like, and he's, you know, like in his 20s. I was like, holy crap, that's Sam. Like, I know him more as an older actor. Right. Yeah. All right, so Biblio Adventures. Emily, please recap your great adventure because you just had such a fantastic time out west. Uh, Y'all, I went adventuring. I did. I went to visit my son who lives in Colorado. My daughter came and joined us because it was her 30th birthday. I have not seen my kids in a very long time. It was lovely. We had a really good time. I have been dragging my children to bookstores and bakeries since the day they were born. So they're very used to it at this point. And we covered some territory. The very first thing we did, I was with the gentleman caller. We landed at the airport, got in the car, and 25 minutes later, we were at the Tattered Cover bookstore in Denver in their brand new store that had literally opened the day before. It's in McGregor Square, which is right by Coors Stadium. It's a cold neighborhood. It was a Sunday morning at 10 in the morning, so there was not a lot going on. Mm -hmm. The bookstore is beautiful. They tried to emulate the original. When I asked them that question, they said, that's a loaded question. They closed a bookstore, which I thought was the original. It was the Lodo location. And they said it was where like the main things happened and where their offices were, but they actually don't consider it to be the original. Oh, so that was like their big event store or something. Yeah, because I remember that their older store didn't really have the event space because it was all shelving and stuff, I think. So maybe I've just never been. I probably have only been to the Lodo location. So quick little story about the Lodo location. I took my children to Denver probably 15 years ago. They were both little, maybe even 20 years ago. Holy smokes. And it was at the time when Aragorn, Aragon, Aragon, Aragon came out by Chris Paolini. Paolini is how I always said his name. We were sitting in the bookstore having a snack because that's how I could get my children to go everywhere to bookstores, which was to have a muffin or something or cookie or something. And my son, Jacob says, mom, Chris Paolini is upstairs. He's about to start talking about Aragon. So I started packing things up and I jumped up and I started running up the stairs and he said, just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, Jacob, he's such a such a funny guy. Anyway, so I was thinking about that when we were at Tattered Cover, but it's a beautiful store just opened. I had had read that they were doing a bookworm from the old Lodo location, or maybe it's Lodi. I don't know if it's Lodo, Lodi, whatever, to this new one in McGregor Square. So I asked them, I was like, what book did you use? And he said, well, we used a book called Bright Ideas Bookstore by Matthew J. Sullivan. The author was a bookseller at the old location, and the old location appears in the book. Oh, how cool. Isn't that cute? It I is. thought that was such a great idea. So they said that the bookworm went pretty well. They ended up not having quite enough people, <laughs> so they ran some books like from one person to the other. But I thought that was really cute. So that was stop number one. Then we ended up in Salida, Colorado, and we went to Bookhaven, which is a really nice store with both used and new books. They had a great section with books about Colorado and local authors. He also had a great little display of bookmarks, and on it it said, don't be a page bender, (laughs) which I thought was cute. I'm a fan of bending pages, but I know some people think that's blasphemy. So... Then we went to Buena Vista, Colorado, where there were two bookstores. One was called Once Upon a Trapeze, and it's owned by an elementary school teacher. So they had a fantastic children's section, lots of sidelines for kids, but also great books. And then I also found this flyer, which I'm showing Chris, that was at the coffee shop about the book nook, a Buena Vista destination, over 20,000 real, that's in capital books, used and new. So, of course, I had to drag the gentleman caller there. It's in a historic 1930s cottage. In the back, they also have a peace labyrinth that you can walk. So it had very good, lovely, peaceful vibes. But I have to say, after walking through the house, because every nook and cranny literally is crammed with books, when I got to the kitchen which was set up like a kitchen, but had books everywhere. I got a little tiny psycho vibe. <laughs> I said to Jim, like, I don't know why, but this is creeping me out a little. And then we go upstairs, and there's a bedroom with a closet. And in the closet is dolls, like oh, old God. vintage dolls. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> Go to the book nook. It's lovely, but it did just have this one little creepy vibe to me. It was just funny. Jim bought books every store we went. I have to say, people say I drag him everywhere. He bought books everywhere we went. We came home with a lot of books. (laughs) So next we were in Aspen, and we went to the Explore Bookstore, which is in an old Victorian house. Yeah, you you were, yeah, I was Uh. looking forward to hearing about this one. And I didn't get the psycho vibe. Good. I don't know why. I mean, it was bigger and wider rooms. The sun was shining in from like a skylight in the living room area of it. Beautiful store. Just beautiful. And then if you go up to the second floor, it actually enters into a restaurant, which was really interesting, which we didn't get to eat at. But it's it's called a Nutrarian restaurant, which I didn't really know what that means. But I think it's once I read about it, it's about you know being very conscious of the nutritional value of foods, mostly plant-based. I would have liked to have spent more time and you know really looked at their menu. I just was on a it was a busy day the day we were there. But 
oh, if you ever are in Aspen, I would highly recommend it. And it was funny because a woman walked in and was asking the bookseller, have you read anything good lately? And of course, I couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> so I told her about The Great Circle, and she picked that one up. And um, then the bookseller was telling her about some others. And she was just picking books up and buying them. So I was really happy for the bookstore. They had just opened two days before. They had been curbside only to that point and they did require masks when you went in which I have no problem with so and then the last stop was bookbinders and basalt which was completely opposite it's only been open for four years it's kind of a new shopping center but boy whoever buys their sidelines there has fantastic taste just beautiful things I'd never seen before like notebooks and papers and then they had these beautiful posters and they would sell these kits with little wooden dowels where you could hang them from your wall and an incredible assortment of puzzles. Oh, yeah. I love that. You posted a picture where they have some of the puzzles that are in the classic boxes, but then also some that are in cylinders Yes, that look like um, moose munch yes, containers. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a, a wide tube. Yeah. Know? Yeah, I had never seen that. And we, right when you walked in the store, it was just a wall of puzzles. And then they had fantastic books as well, but I was just so amazed by the cards and the pens and the, you know, I always go crazy. I love bookstores that have good sidelines. Yeah. 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 So that was it. We made it to five bookstores and then one little free library, which was in an old like newspaper stand kind of a thing, which I have an affinity for. And it was stocked with fantastic books and it was in a really cool location because there's a great bike path that runs from Aspen to Glenwood Springs. It's called the Rio Grande Trail. And it was right off of where people park to get on and off the trail. And I thought, oh, that's a good spot for that. And we checked it a couple times and it had new books both times. So I thought that was cool. So lots of biblio adventuring to bookstores. It was really fun to see all the different kinds and just to be able to go into bookstores. Right, yeah. How fun. That's great. I love that you checked the Little Free Library several times. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the funniest thing is I hadn't seen one and then we were driving past it and I was like, Little Free Library! (laughs) And so the gentleman caller screech. You know, my daughter's in the backseat rolling her eyes, but we stopped. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? Fantastic. Um, Well, I did some couch biblio adventures. One of them was through, gosh, the Homestead National Historic Park in Beatrice, Nebraska. It was a homesteading authors roundtable covering six different writers of the Midwest: Willa Cather, of course, and Tracy Tucker from the um, National Willa Cather Center spoke about her. Uh, Phoebe May Hooper who was an author I had not heard of. Um, Dr. Melissa Hayes spoke about her. Hamlin Garland, a scholar named Kurt Mayer, talked about him. Laura Ingalls Wilder, Sarah S. Huthoff talked about Laura. And then Marie Sandoz, who is a Nebraska writer, who I've, I've read her book, Old Jewels, which is really excellent. Jameson Wyatt talked about her. And then best reader Aldrich, who's another Nebraska writer who I've read several novels of, Billy Leftholtz spoke about her. And what was really cool was um, it was a roundtable. So a park ranger asked the same question of each scholar. 
and you know answer the question with your author in mind. So it was really cool to get the different perspective of how the different authors handled things or were received and everything. Uh, like one of the things about Hamlin Garland, which I wasn't really aware of, Kurt Mayer said that Wisconsin, Iowa, South Dakota, at least those three states, have all claimed him as their most popular author because he's associated with all of them. He also lived in Chicago and Boston. So that was really cool. And this Phoebe May Hooper, she's from Nebraska and was a contemporary of Willa Cather at the University of Nebraska. And she kept diaries. There is an edition or a book about her coming out soon. Unfortunately, I did not write down the information about that. I need to track that down. But I think it's by uh, Melissa Hayes. Hmm. So that was really cool and really different um, to see an author event like that through the National Park Service. It's pretty cool. So you were there couch biblioteca adventuring. Mm -hmm. Was it a Zoom event or were they in person? They were in person. They were outside. So the sound was a little challenging at times. Mm -hmm. And they were in front of a live audience who were spaced. Mm -hmm. And some people had masks on. And the park ranger kind of stood behind them a little bit on the stage. And they each had a mic in front of them. So you could hear what they were saying, even if there was a little background noise here and there. Very yeah. cool. I know there's a lot of hybridization now of events going on. So Yeah. 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 So cool. that was very cool. And then another event I attended was through uh, the Village Preservation Society in Greenwich Village. I've attended a couple events by them, and they always do such a good job. And this one was strictly via Zoom with authors in their individual boxes on the mm-hmm. screen. <laughs> it was the Daring Life and Dangerous Times of Eve Adams. This is also the title of a new book by the historian Jonathan Ned's Katz, who is a really renowned scholar of LGBT issues, lives, times, things like that. And so I did buy a copy of the book f- through them because it sounds fascinating. Eve Adams said that she, that wasn't her given name, but she said that she was a little bit Eve and a little bit Adam. Um, <laughs> so good. she lived a queer like life that. in the 1920s. She was a Polish immigrant, Jewish woman who was a radical leftist in Greenwich Village in the teens and 20s. She moved to Chicago for a couple years with a lover, and they opened a tea room there and then moved back to New York. The reason that the historian Katz first came across her was in an article I think that the New York Times did about different women, different women writers or something like that. Eve was the first known woman to be entrapped by a female police officer for soliciting sex. So she was entrapped. Mm -hmm. One of the things that Katz discovered was that there was a real conspiracy against her to get her deported. It's a crazy story. It's one of the reasons I bought the book, because I I just thought this life that she lived was really wild and really highlights a time in American history that we don't really know that much about, that hasn't been talked about a lot, of just how awful President Wilson was and some of the laws that he supported in suppressing people and Mm -hmm. ideas. Eve had written a book called Lesbian Love, and it was real pioneering lesbian study of a community at the time i forgot what law it was that was used against her but she was basically tried and imprisoned because of this book you know there was an indecency trial so the book was published in 1925 
the same year that The Great Gatsby was published. You know, and The Great Gatsby has adultery in it. When she published her book called Lesbian Love, didn't have anything that was crazy different in it. Like some of the illustrations, there are standard illustrations of the time. But she was basically, as he found, it was conspired against her to get her deported, which she was. Um, she served time in prison for that book, where she met Mae West, who was wow. also imprisoned for a while for indecency. Mm-hmm. Um, she was just there for a couple days, Mae West, because you know she was a celebrity, and it was more of a slap on the wrist. Whereas I believe Eve spent a couple years, mm. maybe, in prison for this. And then she was deported. She was deported to France. Unfortunately, at the time of Nazism rising in Germany, her lover at the time, her partner, was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed woman who was also Jewish but could pass, and she was a singer. So they were able to survive on her salary for a while, and Eve sold books, but they did not have a happy ending. They were captured, and they died in concentration camps. Her story just sounds so remarkable about the times and what people who were not cisgendered white people went through. Mm-hmm. Um, or class issues is a big thing because she was working class as opposed to some of the women who were lesbians or feminists or suffragettes who were of a different class got away with different things that a working class woman wouldn't necessarily be able to deal with. If you were interested in, I mean, anything from the, the lesbian angle, Jewish history, immigration, deportation, working class, federal collusion against people, the rise of fascism, social justice, like there's so much. One of the people who asked the question said, you know, what do you want readers to take away from all of this? And Kat said, really, that resistance is so important and that We need to support the ideal of democracy and fight to make it a reality, even if democracy isn't perfect. It's something we need to still fight for those ideals to try and make it a more just and democratic society. Really cool event. I know I talked about it a bit, but I'm really excited to dive into this book and learn about her. The full text of Lesbian Love is included in this biography. And he intended to just write an article about her, and it bloomed into a book wow. because there was just so much and so much unbelievable stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, what a life she had. Yeah. So, again, that's The Daring Life and Dangerous Times of Eve Adams by Jonathan Ned Katz. I also attended the ALA, the American Library Association Conference, which was all online. Very cool. So many cool authors and speakers and interesting panels. Barack Obama was the closing speaker. And he, again, kind of had the very similar thing to say, uh, that we need to fight for democratic ideals. We need to find a way to get back to having a common story that drives us and brings us together as Americans that doesn't ignore the harm that has happened and that continues to happen for minority people But we need something to bring us together to be able to survive as a democracy, as a country. That was a really good ending conversation. But I'll just say really quickly, this is a Biblio adventure that was a documentary I watched. And it was called Gatsby in Connecticut, The Untold Story. 
this is a 2020 movie. So Gatsby in Connecticut, I found this just after I had read The Great Gatsby and before I started The Chosen and the Beautiful. It came up on Canopy. I get an email every Friday from Canopy, and that's the service where you can stream movies using your library card. I was like, get out. What a coincidence, right? Gatsby, Connecticut was kind of sparked by an article by Barbara Probe Solomon. She's passed away since, but she's interviewed for this film. She was convinced that the location of The Great Gatsby was Westport, Connecticut, And not Long Island. The case for this is really solid, I think. Westport, Connecticut is where Fitzgerald and his wife had their honeymoon, and they lived for five months in Westport, Connecticut. Even looking at maps of the time, they rented this cottage, and there's this huge mansion Uh. abutting the property that was lived in by a man who was a millionaire, billionaire in today's days, His money sources were kind of unknown, very similar to Gatsby. There was also a notorious bootlegger in Westport at the time. So I really thought it was a compelling movie. Sam Waterston was in it. And I'm like, why is he in it? Like, is he just a Gatsby fan? You know, I didn't know why the (laughs) heck he was involved. He played Nick in that 1970s adaptation. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe that was him. Right. So I'm going to suffer through that adaptation. I, I didn't like the movie because I thought it was really overacted, especially the character of Daisy annoyed me. Maybe she's supposed to probably. <laughs> she is, I think, supposed yeah. to annoy you, right? Um, anyway, <laughs> but what was really fascinating about this, and I'll stop going on, but um, they talked about this scholar, um, Brucoli, who was like the Fitzgerald scholar for a very long time. The man wrote like over 50 books, not all of them about Fitzgerald, but he was very adamant about his biography. And his biography about Fitzgerald was the correct. And anything else he discounted or he tried to crush. So like he was really harmful in terms of scholarship freedom. And, you know, some of the other points that were made is that subsequent biographers of Fitzgerald didn't look at the original sources. They were just quoting one another, which was a problem I know in Cather circles as well. Not Mm -hmm. going to the original resources, but just quoting somebody who was the foundational biographer. That was nothing but a myth. Right. Wow. Yeah, so I highly recommend the film. It's a pretty short one. It's a documentary If you're a Gatsby fan or a Fitzgerald fan, you'll love it. Again, that's Gatsby in Connecticut, the untold story. So do you believe? I believe, yeah. Because just from the physical evidence, the house in Long Island, they lived there later, but it doesn't make any sense Mm -hmm. that it would be on Long Island when this location in Westport, looking across the bay, you can see the green light. Just the mansion and the, the the physical description mm-hmm. of the, the area in Gatsby, and then looking at Westport at the time, it, I think it's pretty obvious. Cool. Yeah. And I think the woman Solomon, I think she was instrumental, too, in revealing the heavy-handed editing that had gone on in one of Hemingway's memoirs. Hmm. And brought that to light. So she's a mystery solver. Yeah, she was a journalist, a very important journalist. I think she started her career in Spain during the dictatorship there. So, you know, she was a 
a powerhouse. And then also, she grew up, I think, in Westport. And I think as somebody who grew up in the area and was a Fitzgerald reader, started making these things. And even Maureen uh, Corrigan Mm -hmm. is interviewed for this documentary. And she says she wishes that Brucali's later years as a scholar could be erased because of his stubbornness and the way he kind of crushed research because Fitzgerald studies were pretty stagnant, Mm -hmm. I guess, because of that. And that is unfortunate because he did probably a lot of really good things for Fitzgerald studies. But at the same time, when you have somebody who's dominating a field, that's really not good for any business or field of inquiry, I don't think. Yeah, anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So I just talked a lot. We were both busy. Yeah. What about upcoming jaunts? I don't have any. I've been too busy, like, figuring out getting back to life here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have one thing coming up, and that is, I'm excited to say, the Willa Cather Book Club is coming back. We did not meet during the pandemic. I did not have it in me to do a Zoom book club. Yeah. Because I had enough Zoom in other areas of my life. So we are going to be meeting on July 15th at noon in South Windsor. And our book will be Lucy Gayhart, which was the book we were supposed to be reading in April of 2020 that the pandemic put on hold. So mm-hmm. if you're interested, at South Windsor, Connecticut, July 15th at noon, and email us for the details bookcougars at gmail.com welcome back (laughs) (laughs) upcoming reads emily i know one big mofo that's on your (laughs) list hold on let me pick it up it's it requires two hands (laughs) anna karenina or anna karenina i say anna karenina i said karenina too or now familiarly called anna k anna k by Leo Tolstoy, I'm starting on the morrow, and it is long. I'm also going to try. Oh, you know, it's not it's not 1,200 pages. It's 976 pages oh, or something. That's a snap. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's 986. I am probably going to be listening to it as well. There is an audio recording by Maggie Gyllenhaal, but I think that's only available through Audible. So I'm going to do a little bit of research about which one I want to listen to. I am definitely starting that tomorrow. And then I also picked up a book called Open Water by Caleb Azuma Nelson. And I got this at the Tattered Cover on our first stop on vacation. And he's a poet, so that really caught my eye. This is a novel, but it's about two young black people who meet in London. It has a lot of racist subject matter, and I'm not sure about class as well. I haven't started it yet. It's not very big, and this was recommended on one of Russell Ink and Paper Blog's most recent videos, which is why it had caught my attention when he was talking about it, and then when I saw it at the bookstore, I thought, oh yeah. And then, of course, it was blurbed by Yad Jassi, so... Then I was totally in, and her blurb is, Tender Poetry, A Love Song to Black Art and Thought. Well, I will be jumping into Bleak House by Charles Dickens tomorrow. That is my big book summer focus, 
and I'm looking forward to it. So our friend Kate was the one who reached out and said, hey, you want to do it as a buddy read? Because she had just picked up the same copy. So Kate's kind of responsible for us doing these buddy reads because it's like, yeah, let's open it up and have some fun and talk more directly about the book. So again, we have Goodreads threads on both of these books, Anna Karenina and Bleak House. And if you want to jump in anytime, like you don't have to start on July 1st. I realize this episode is going to be posted after July 1st, but anytime, because anytime you comment, we get a notification. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to having company. I mean, each person that jumps on, I'm like, yes, more chance that I'll actually read this. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a buddy read. I also am considering it like an accountability read. Absolutely. Not that, I mean, you know, these schedules are there, but they're not don't feel like you're being held to the wall to have to keep track exactly like we're doing it. But it's just nice to have some form Mm -hmm. to tackle such a big book. Absolutely, it is. It is. Because if I don't have a a little bit of a schedule on a really big book, you just can easily drift away if if something pressing comes up. But the schedule that we have outlined, if you miss a day or two, if you do want to keep pace, it wouldn't be that excruciating to catch up. Right. Yeah. Are you going to read, you're going to read other things, obviously, while you're reading Bleak House? Yes. My plan is to wake up and read Bleak House in the morning. Okay. And then do my work and then read whatever nonfiction book I have going in the evening. But you're not going to read another fiction? I don't know. I, at first I was going to, but then I thought maybe not. I'll have to see what Bleak House is like. Yeah. Sometimes I can read two novels simultaneously, but other times it just doesn't work, you know, because... I don't know if it's when the styles are too similar or when they're too different. I don't know. I don't either. Yeah. What about you? Well, I mean, I can't imagine only reading this for the next two months. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And when I tried to do this before, so historically, listeners, I tried to do this with a book club years ago. I mean, over a decade. And we were supposed to read 100 pages a month. And then one of my overachiever friends read the whole thing in a month. And then it just kind of threw everything to the side. So I've never tried to read it while reading other things. So we'll see. I agree with you. We'll just see. Especially if I'm listening to it, sometimes I can be listening and reading and then reading something else, but who knows? Well, maybe poetry. Yeah. I know yeah. we were both way into poetry there for a while, but the last couple of weeks, I haven't really read much poetry, yeah. I don't think. That's a good idea. And or short stories as mm. well. So good. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. Because I don't want to just plow through this. I want to. Spend a little time with Anna Kay. <laughs> Are you going to cut the book in half? To oh, make so it- I don't have to carry the whole thing? Yeah. I don't know. I've never thought about it. I have a friend who does that when she goes camping. Mm-hmm. She'll just use the previous pages as you know to start her fires. And I'm like, <laughs> that just seems like blasphemy. And what if you decide you want to turn back to the first chapter to reread something? I know, right? That is, bad, that's so a, well, especially when you've burnt the book. Exactly. Um, I know Kate does that. She did that with, I think, Gone at the Wind. She cut it in yes. half. Because you know, she would take it to work. Right. And you yeah. know, that's kind of a lug. Well, I did carry this to work today, and I was like, you're not going to do that for the next two months, Emily. That's insane. (laughs) When Jim saw it, he was like, why? Why are you reading it? I said, because I want to. And he just shook his head at me. 
<laughs> so I do. I really want, I mean, you know, last summer it was Shantaram, mm-hmm. so, which I did happily donate when I was done. We'll yeah. see. I think I'll hold on to this. I think I saw your Shantaram in the little free library. Did you, next to Breakwater Books? <laughs> there was your copy. That's so funny. Someone took it or yeah. they got rid of it. They were like, this is taking up way too much real estate in our little free library. <laughs> when I saw it, I thought, gosh, I wonder if that's Emily's copy. <laughs> It was. (laughs) Well, everybody, happy summer. It officially became summer when I was on vacation. It's nice to have these long days of light. And um, we hope everyone's doing well and staying healthy and getting lots of reading time in. Yes, and happy winter to those of you in the other part of the world. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. For some of you who are suffering through the 115 degree temperatures uh, in the Pacific Northwest. You're yeah. probably dreaming of winter at this point. Yeah, it's so brutal out there because so many people don't have AC. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Well, fan yourself, make a glass of lemonade, and do some reading. Yeah. All right, everybody. Happy, Happy reading. reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media or on our Goodreads group. And if you'd like to contact us directly, email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone.